Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It is Spain and Fitz here on ESPN Radio. Your ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Spain and Fitz are not here, but you get me, Matt Jones, and he, Myron Metcalf. I am in beautiful Scranton, Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania at the Scranton-Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders game against the Louisville Bats, the Yankees affiliate versus the Reds affiliate. Don't worry, I won't spoil the action if you've saved it on your DVR for later tonight, but it's a beautiful stadium here in Pennsylvania. Myron Metcalf is back in Minneapolis, and Myron, uh, great to be with you. I got off my little trip through Pennsylvania so that I could join you this evening. I appreciate it, man. Have you seen uh, Stanley or, or Michael Scott or anybody uh... <laughs> I, I've been and Dwight out there. Who, who I've been it? to Scranton a few times. I don't feel like they embrace it as much as they should. The whole really? office thing. Well, they I mean, used I don't to. think they're back in I the mean, day. I, they used to go to the uh, St. Patrick's Day parade. What's What's the point of being in Scranton if you're not going to go? I all agree. In? If I'm Scranton, I just change the billboard coming into town Everything. to a picture of Michael Scott. Like that's what everybody wants to see. You know, yeah. nobody. Not, what else? Give me something else about Scranton. I think Joe Biden's from there. Yep. That's it, right? That's it. Is there anything else? There's nothing. I would lean all the way in on the office. Like they, I agree. They, they're at, missing an opportunity. At KY Sports Radio or at Matt Caff ESPN, or just give us a call, 888-SAY-ESPN. If you can think of something else about Scranton yeah. that, 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 that they should embrace, I don't know what it would be. Now, the Wilkes-Barre Scranton baseball team, they're Yankees affiliates. Of course, the Reds made a big comeback win against the Yankees last night. Uh, gets all the Yankees people worried, but they shouldn't worry about it. They're still the best team in baseball, Myron, and are probably going to end up winning the World Series after many years of a drought. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of time. I mean, I think the Yankees and the Mets are probably on a collision course. Oh, really? Uh, wow, you're predicting I mean, a Subway yeah. Series. I think, I, I think it's good. I think it'd be good for the sport, too. There you go. Well, sure. More baseball insight coming here on Spain and Fitz, but we are going to open up with some news from the Big 12. You know, when you hear – Myron, all the talk about expansion and all that, the one conference that sort of feels like an afterthought to people is the Big 12. People wonder what's going to happen to these teams left in the Pac-12, Oregon, Washington, Stanford, Cal. The ACC, of course, has Clemson, Florida State, Miami, Duke, Carolina. So everybody wonders about all those. But doesn't it feel like when it comes to the Big 12, most people are just like, eh, who cares? There are just a bunch of people out in the Midwest. That's kind of how the sense I've gotten from people. Well, I mean, after the Big Ten went and stole USC, UCLA, and the SEC grabbed Texas and Oklahoma, it certainly feels that way. I mean, because who else is really out there? What's the the most marquee program left? If you're a conference in the Big 12, which of those programs would you want the most? I mean, you say maybe, is it Oklahoma State is is probably the the most appealing? Is it Baylor? I don't know. But you lose Texas, Oklahoma, and I think you lose so much about, you know, the league and how people view that league. And even they expanded. I mean, BYU, Houston, those teams coming, but that's just not going to be the same it's not after the these same. moves happen. So know? the question is, you know, when, you, when you're in that situation and you're down to what? Uh, what do they have, eight left? I think they're down to eight. They're adding four, so they'll yep. get back to 12. Sometimes you got to say, hey, we're still here. Don't forget about us. We are still the Big 12, and we're going to, you know, as they said in Revenge of the Nerds, you remember the chant they did in Revenge of the Nerds, Myron? Yeah. Yeah. He said, we're nerds, we're wet, and we're very, very upset. They were standing yeah. in the rain. Well, the Big 12 says, we're nerds, we're Big 12, but we're very, very upset. And they came out swinging. Brett Yormark, points if you knew who that was before I said this, is the Big 12 commissioner. And he says, hey, 
The Big 12 is still open for business. What excites me most about joining the Big 12 is the transformative moment in front of all of us today. We have an opportunity to grow and build the Big 12 brand and business, be aspirational, define our point of difference, all while never losing our commitment to always compete and develop our student-athletes at the highest levels. Moments like these do not happen often, and we must seize them and make the most of them. It will require incredible work and collaboration. One thing is for sure, there is no doubt the Big 12 is open for business. There you go. Now, when you hear those, we'll stop him there. That's plenty. When when you hear those, Myron, those words, what comes to your mind when you hear him say, we are at an amazing moment? Well, I'm trying to figure out what commencement speech was that. I mean, where, what high school was that? Which uh, was that? Was that Johnson High School? Uh, I, I don't know because he he certainly sounds like he uh, he prepared it almost like this Morgan Freeman like monologue, uh, and then and then delivered it. I just that's a tough task, man, for this to be year one for you to come into this situation where it's like, hey, by the way, your conference is falling apart. And you might lose a few other schools, but good luck. Uh, but he's trying to show confidence. I just don't know that. Well, it's that it's scary work. for those schools it if you think about it, because what's going to happen is, I, you know, I'm of a be- belief that at the end of the day in this realignment, Myron, there's going to be four big conferences. There'll be two powers: the SEC and the Big Ten, and then two secondary conferences. I think yeah. some version of the ACC survives. And then some version of a West Coast Big 12 survive. And the question is just, which one is it? Is it going to be the Pac-12 with Big 12 schools? Or is it going to be the Big 12 with Pac-12 schools? But if it's the Pac-12 with Big 12 schools, then I think, Myron, there's going to be some schools left out of that in the Big 12. The Pac-12, they might go get BYU, right? They might go get... I don't know, Texas Tech, Baylor, whatever. But they're probably not going to get Iowa State. They're probably not going to get Kansas State. And if you're some of those schools, your livelihood as a power conference team is in danger, don't you think? Yeah, and I think that's why you have some schools that are making such a push now to to try to survive. I mean, you heard reports about Kansas and some of the other schools in that league. I mean, to your point, I don't think the Pac-12 and Big 12 both survived this. Me either. One of them will, but we don't know which one. And to your point, the the rest of the schools – and here's the challenge. If you're a football power, you're in a great spot. If you're not that, if you're not a team that the Big Ten or the SEC needs, you're kind of in limbo right now. And and I don't know what that leads to, but it does not feel like the Power Five anymore, man. It feels like the Power Two and everybody else. Well, Mike Gundy is the Oklahoma State football coach. He's a man. He's over 40 now. And he says – he. he I, well, I, I'll, get, I'll be interested in what your take is. He was talking about Oklahoma going to the SEC, and he said, watch out, that may put Bedlam, of course, the rivalry between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, in jeopardy. The future in Bedlam is, uh, is a year or two left. I mean, that's the future of Bedlam um, <clears throat> based on somebody else's decision. Recruiting for us hasn't really changed a lot. You know, it's interesting with, with young people now. I, I'm, I'm not sure. You, you, you might be able to take a poll of the top 250, 300 recruits in the country and ask them if they know, for example, you could throw out um, what conference is Purdue in or what conference is um, Wake Forest in. 
and I would say there's about a 50% chance they might not even know what the conference is. Um, young people live in certain worlds today, and um, essentially they want to know what you as a university and athletic department, as a football team and a coach, can do for them. That's, that's what they're interested in. So other than that, our recruiting hasn't really changed since, those, since the uh, conference realignment. I don't believe any of that. First yeah. of all, they may not know where Purdue, who, who Purdue and Wake Forest are in. You know why? Because they're not going to Purdue and Wake Forest. Yeah. And guess what? They're not going to go to Oklahoma State either. They're going to know Oklahoma's in the SEC. You want to know why? Because Oklahoma's going to tell them over and over. They're going to know Texas is in the SEC. I don't believe any of that. It's nice that he says it, Byron, but it's all nonsense. Yeah, none of none of it, it sounds real. But but I will say, like, if this somehow disrupts Bedlam, that's on Oklahoma State. I, I cannot stand schools in these moments because it's only being for petty reasons when they disrupt rivalry games and hurt fans the way that they do. Like, listen, there's going to be a longer conference season with all of these teams, but that doesn't mean you change your biggest rivalry. And it looks like this could be an excuse that Oklahoma State uses to sort of, you know, get back at an Oklahoma for leaving and going to the SEC, but you're only hurting yourself when you do that. If the rivalry matters to you, you'll play it. 100%. Right? Like, okay, so I'm a Kentucky guy. There's not go- – I don't care how many teams they add to the SEC. If Kentucky tries to end the game with Louisville, I'm going to be yelling, you yeah. got to play Louisville. That's what you do when you're Kentucky. You play Louisville. Clemson, South Carolina, you got to play each other. That's what you do. And if Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, if the rivalry matters, if Bedlam is really – Bedlam, if it's something I'm supposed to care about, Myron, they'll play. If it's not, if it's what Texas and Texas A&M were when Texas A&M went to the SEC, then it's a rivalry we can all forget about and don't sit there and try to tell me it ever mattered because if it mattered, you would have played. Yeah, and this is Mike Gundy saying, speaking up for his fans, being like, okay, if they're going to leave for the SEC, I'll show you what we're going to do. But who who gains anything? Nothing. Oklahoma's going to be okay with or without you. Exactly. You know, so that's the reality. Yeah, nobody cares what conference Purdue and Wake Forest are in. But they're not winning national championships. And guess what? Oklahoma State didn't win them before, but they're definitely not going to win them now without being in the SEC or the Big Ten. Now, Donovan Mitchell, speaking of Kentucky-Louisville, he played at Louisville. He's now in Utah. Could he make a move from Utah to the biggest media market in the world? Go to New York. Can the Knicks finally land a star? That's next here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It is Spain and Fitz here on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. He's Myron Metcalf. I'm Matt Jones. I'm sitting in Scranton, Wilkes-Barre. You know, you're in one of those cities where they can't say one without the other. You know, people say Minneapolis, St. Paul. Yeah, that's a real thing. You ever feel like if you're like, well, at least there, Minneapolis is the big one. St. Paul's not kind of little brother. But Scranton-Wilkes-Barre, I feel like the other city's got to get upset at the other one. Like, why do we yeah. always have to be – why can't we be separate? Why do we always have to be affiliated with you? Yeah, it's it's a real thing, man. It's a real thing. I know, like, up here, I, I know someone who uh, just doesn't do business in Minneapolis. She's from St. Paul. I just doesn't. Refuses, <laughs> just refuses to go to Minneapolis? Refuses to shop there, refuses to do anything in Minneapolis. Just She's all St. So Paul. are St. Paul people, like, are they frustrated that they don't feel like they get their due? Extremely. I think uh, the Republican National Convention was here like 10 years ago, and all the rate, all the shows said live from Minneapolis. They were actually in St. Paul. And that was oh, really? Thing. Oh, that was a whole thing, man. That I was, think the same thing happens with, like, Dallas-Fort Worth, yeah, right? Like. Yeah. People will say they're in Dallas and they're actually in Fort Worth, and it probably makes people mad. It's a real thing, man. These are the kind of things we talk about here on ESPN Radio. Another thing that makes people mad 
is that the Knicks haven't had a really great player come their way since when, Myron? When's the last superstar that was on the Knicks? Are we talking Melo? Yeah, it's got to be Melo. Do you count Porzingis? Is that a superstar? Nah, I I think it's it's Melo to me. Porzingis had the makings of one, but superstar was Melo. So they have tried, unable to get him through free agency, haven't really been able to draft one of the stars, and now Donovan Mitchell is potentially open uh, for a trade, and New York seems the most likely uh, scenario. Tim McMahon, he's ESPN's NBA reporter, was on Canty and Carlin earlier today, and he said the Knicks are the front runners to get Donovan Mitchell. The list absolutely starts with the Knicks, and it's no secret at all that the Knicks have been trying to set this up for years with you know hiring Johnny Bryant, who was Donovan Mitchell's uh, the assistant coach he worked with on a daily basis, all the CAA ties, you know, showing up, uh, sitting courtside at the the Jazz's playoff opener when Mitchell happened to be facing uh, Jalen Brunson and the Mavericks, um, and and they've got they've got all the picks, you know, they can they can make a a deal that would be very attractive to the Jazz, who, you know, they're looking for a stockpile of picks, they're looking for young talent, they're looking for financial. Uh, flexibility. The Knicks can offer all that, and I think it's just going to be tough for another team to uh, to beat the kind of package that the Knicks can put together. I get all that, yeah. but do you think if you're the Knicks, and because if you take with what happened with Jalen Brunson, you take Donovan Mitchell, now that's your team. I mean, yep. that's basically going to be your team. It's going to be hard to get another star. You'd have to basically give away everybody else to do that. You're going to give away most of your role players, most of your draft picks. Is Donovan Mitchell, to you, that guy? I think he, he is. Uh, I mean, they're going to lose your boy Emmanuel quickly. I mean, he definitely would go into trade. They're going to have to give up a lot of draft picks. I mean, we'll see. They're going to have to give up him, Toppin, right? A bunch of them. I mean, the Rudy Gobert trade changed the value on any trade that will happen after it. I mean, I think that's stalling the Kevin Durant trade. And if you're – Utah, and you just got what you got for Rudy Gobert, you're going to ask for even more for Donovan Mitchell. But you have to do that if you're the Knicks. Like, the lie is that free agency is real for everyone, and it's just not. Free agency is real for, like, five teams every year when, you know, the Miamis and, and maybe, like, an L.A. or something like that. But if you're a New York Knicks team and you have a chance to get a superstar, when do you get that opportunity? People will say things like, well, just go to the draft. The draft produces two to three franchise players every year or future franchise players. And you still probably won't get a guy as good as Donovan Mitchell. So if I'm the Knicks and I compare him with Jalen Brunson for the next three, four years, you do it and you hope you can add more pieces as the salary cap gets ready to go up here in another year. But wasn't the whole point of bringing Leon Rose and Wes, wasn't it to get free agents? I mean, you really think, like in theory, Shouldn't the Knicks be able to get people in free agency? I mean, I know they haven't, and I get yeah. that. But in theory, it would seem to me that that would be an attractive piece. I guess I'm not saying anything against Donovan Mitchell. I like Donovan Mitchell. But you're right. They're probably going to have to give up like a top 10 player haul in order yep. to get him. And I just don't think he's that good. I don't think you're winning anything with Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson. Are you? I mean, are you going to win anything? I, I don't know, but I think it's worth the risk because where do you go from here with what you have? You know, now I think quickly is a great young player. I think topping could develop as well, but 
Mitchell's ready now. This guy's been an all-star three years in a row. He's only getting better. And they might get him in like the prime of his career. He's got three more years left on that deal. A fourth year as a player option. You might get four years of Donovan Mitchell, four years but of what Jalen is that? Bronson. Okay, so four years of Donovan Mitchell in his prime. What? How good a like? Tell me what he is in the league. Is he the D Wade? I think that. Oh, you think he's D Wade? I'm now. I, I think in terms of like what he could become. D Wade was an MVP. Yeah, he could become. I think that level player if he can really. To develop. I mean, D Wade's his mentor. I mean, D Wade, you know, well, owns I mean, the. You're, you're my not, mentor. I'm never going to be <laughs> no, you. I mean, that doesn't not, mean anything. I'm not saying he'll reach the same heights. Like I don't like doing that comparison thing. But in terms of the kind of player, yeah, I think he could be. The kind of player where you go, we can build a playoff team around him and maybe and add do another what? piece. Well, add another piece, and then maybe you make a run. Look at the teams that have made runs the last couple of years. Milwaukee, who had Giannis in Milwaukee? <laughs> Which was pretty Jimmy. good. Pretty good. Really good. Boston, Jalen Brown. I mean, so to, to me, the Eastern Conference is Okay, let me go through this. Proven. Let's go through the teams yeah. that are contenders. And you tell me if you think Donovan Mitchell is as good as these guys. Is Donovan Mitchell as good as Giannis? The answer, I'm going to answer no one for is. you. Yeah, no. No, one is. No, no Is he as good as Embiid? No. Is he as good as Jason Tatum? He's a step below that. Okay. He's, is he's he as good as that. Jimmy Butler? He's in that category for me. He's in that tier. He's in that okay, Jimmy so Butler Okay, so let's look at Jimmy me. Butler. To get the heat to the NBA Finals, you had to surround yourself with four or five really, really good players. Very when true. the Knicks make this deal, they won't have those guys. Yeah, but I think you've got potentially two of them. You know, I think you've got a couple of them. Now, you also got R.J. Barrett, who could. Do you put him in the trade? Does R.J. Barrett All right, stay? so do you think they can get the deal done without R.J. Barrett? Probably not, I mean, because, of, because the Rudy Gobert trade suggests they're going to demand everything you have, every young player you have. But I think Jalen Brun- Brunson and Donovan Mitchell, that's a gamble. It's a risk I would take if I was trying to build a team that could be a playoff team. Well – I mean, you're a very risk. You know, you're risk. Tolerant. You don't like Utah that much. I mean, you kind of, you know, you take every opportunity to just crush Utah. So that's a part of it. For you. Tell I'm people what you t- think about Utah. No, tell I mean, the people what you think about the Utah. I just Jazz. think like I just would hate to end up in Utah. Every time I've gone to Utah, I mean, it's nothing against Utah. It's a beautiful it's place. Those, against them. Those mountains are glorious, and they're snow capped. And the Mormon tab- Tabernacle Choir is that's a beautiful place. Yep. I, I'm with all that, but when it comes to actually living and being. Still not a fan. That's just not what I'm going to do. Maybe you'll be different. Two a days, NFL training camp. That's next on Spain and Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It is Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Matt Jones, Meyer Metcalf. We're doing two a days, and we are today talking about the Baltimore Ravens. Eight and nine last year in the AFC North. Finished last. Something probably nobody saw happening when the year started. But now – they got to try to make a comeback. Some key changes. They added Marcus Williams at safety, Kyle Fuller at cornerback. They lost Hollywood Brown. They lost their center, Bradley Bozeman, so they drafted Tyler Linderbaum. They also have a safety coming with Kyle Hamilton, remaking their secondary. So the question is, with all of that change, can they go from worst to first like they hope to do, like they expect to do in Baltimore? Keyshawn Johnson took his take on where they're headed on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. I don't think they will. I think that you got two tough teams in that division right now. You got Cincinnati, the Bengals, and then also you got the Cleveland Browns. Now, we don't know what the quarterback situation is going to be there, but I have full confidence that Jacoby Brissett will make this team competitive. 
because a lot of people forgot that the Indianapolis Colts traded for Jacoby Brissett, although it was some time ago, because they felt he could be the starting quarterback there. But you know how coaches and general managers get sometimes. They just throw a guy away without really giving him a true, uh, uh, a true opportunity. He played well enough to continue to be the starter, I thought, in Indianapolis. Now he gets another opportunity for a short stint, maybe even longer, depending on what happens with Deshaun Watson. We don't know what Mitch Trubisky and Pittsburgh is going to look like, but I'm not happy with the way the Baltimore Ravens have approached the offseason at the skill position. So Keyshawn's not happy. He thinks you lost Hollywood Brown. They didn't get enough to replace him. Do you agree, Meyer? Yeah, I mean, you know, he's such a key receiver, and he was he was Lamar Jackson's favorite target. And I think, to me, that's the greatest challenge is if you're going to lose a guy like that who it's still weird how he left, right, to, to Arizona. Like, I thought they were kind of best friends. It seemed like they had a great relationship. And then he goes and decides to, to play elsewhere. But uh, Lamar needs to throw to someone. Now, Rashad Bateman, he's a Minnesota guy. I saw every college game he played. Really impressive player, young guy, was hurt coming off the injury. I think he can be a big target. But I think that's a lot different than having multiple options for a guy like Lamar Jackson. So, yeah, you, you got to add more, give him more weapons if you expect him to, to play to his potential. I agree with that. It was interesting to me that it does seem like they had significant decisions to make in the offseason. And when I watched their team, I thought this is a team that needs more weapons, right? Like they just do. Lamar is an amazing weapon, but he is much more effective if he has other guys around him. And they built everything but that. Right, like they built everything except the one thing that I would watch and saw as a glaring weakness is the inability to sort of take some of the pressure off of Lamar. Their secondary will certainly be better with the addition of Fuller and Marcus Williams. You got to expect Kyle Hamilton plays, so that's all nice. But I don't know. I, I, I am. You know, I'm the biggest Lamar stan in the world, yeah. and the fact that he went to Louisville makes it even crazier that I like him so much. <laughs> but there comes a point with him where if you're going to get the best out of him, you have to give him weapons because if he doesn't have it, he is not going to be able to do the things he's done for years if there is not or if there are not ways for it to be taken off of his shoulders. Yeah, and in a year, Matt, where this could be a contract year, essentially. We don't know if he's going to get a deal done before the season. Um, so he's trying to prove that he's the guy long term. Would you but, give him a – would you yes. do the full extension? Yes. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what people are talking about when it comes to Lamar Jackson and whether or not you would do this. Like, look at the history of teams around the league that have been searching for a franchise quarterback, not for five years, Matt, not for 10, for 20. Go call the Miami Dolphins. Go talk to your Chicago Bears. Like, you have a dude like Lamar Jackson, you find a way to keep him long-term, and you hope he stays healthy. You're not going to find another guy like that in the draft or out on the free agent market. So, yeah. I would sign Lamar Jackson, definitely, but give him some weapons so that he can play his best football, especially as he ages and maybe slows down a step or two. Well, let me ask you about that part. Again, I you 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 re-sign Lamar for the max for the exact reason you're talking about. I mean, yeah. you, you, you have to because you're not going to find another him. He's an MVP. You're just going to let him walk. I mean, you, you, you've got to. But I do think it's reasonable to think – he is going to slow down. It is reasonable to think he is not going to be the exact same player in three years that he is now. Now, he can develop other weapons to maybe be just as effective, but he is not going to be running around and making people lose their, you know, their their shorts every time because he makes yeah. such great moves. That's not going to happen forever. 
And if you don't build the pieces around him, you're not helping him enter that phase two of his career, right? I agree. I mean, I, I will say Lamar Jackson at a six out of ten is still going to be oh, faster still than most of the people in the league. I think we also undersell like how he's improved as a passer. Yes. You know, we see the highlights, and it's impossible to ignore them because they're so impressive. We've never seen anything like this, but he has certainly improved as a passer. But to your point – any good quarterback in this league needs weapons, so they have to surround him with that. Uh, but he also needs some help from the defense because defensively they struggled last year, which the Ravens are always good defensively. It was a rare setback for this team last year. So it was Lamar Jackson being hurt, but it was also that defense not doing what it normally does. It's Bain and Fitz here on ESPN Radio. He's Meyer Metcalf. I'm Matt Jones. It's worth remembering the Ravens were 8-4 and four before Lamar got hurt. I mean, yeah. that, it's easy to forget that it is. because it's so easy to look at that final record and go, well, you know, 8-9, but they were 8-4 before he got hurt. You talked about the defense. I mean, we're so used to the Ravens having – I mean, if there's one thing you always took for granted, well, the defense is always going to be great. Forget yeah. – you know, we'll see what they do everywhere else. Do you think the, do you think the defensive struggles were addressed by the addition of, of, of you know, the draft pick of Kyle Hamilton, Marcus Fuller, uh, et cetera? I think it helps a lot. Yeah, I think it helps a lot, you know. I mean, to your point, like, we're talking so much about Lamar Jackson, but, you know, this Ravens team has a couple of Super Bowls with quarterbacks that we probably won't talk about 20 years from now because of what they've done defensively. And and I think that was the thing that helped Lamar Jackson most, knowing that he was going to have a defensive unit that could hold teams to 10 points, 13 points. They didn't get the job done last year, mostly because of injuries. But Calais Campbell is back, Tyus Bowser towards Achilles at the end of the season, but he should be healthy enough. Uh, in the early portion of the season, you add Kyle Fuller, you add Marcus Williams. I think this will get back to being a top 10 defensive unit in, in the NFL, which is going to help Lamar a lot. But but if Lamar only has one guy to throw to uh, and Rashad Bateman and doesn't have those other weapons, uh, th- that's going to make things more difficult for him as well. I'm excited, by the way, that they have Tyler Linderbaum, the center from Iowa, because – if there's one thing I like, Myron, it's when there's an offensive lineman that everyone in the media just decides they love. And then once they do, every time you talk about the team, you have to bring him up. You know my other one that's like this, right? Who is it? It's Quentin Nelson. It yeah, Quentin Nelson like, no, nobody brings up the Colts and they're like, let me tell you something about Quentin Nelson. And I'm like, why are we always – you, there's no other offensive lineman in the league that you're, you talk about Quentin Nelson. You, make, you mark this down. I want everybody writing, unless you're driving a car, write yep. this down. Matt Jones says Tyler Linderbaum will be that dude now because every time I hear somebody talking about the Ravens, they go, oh, Tyler Linderbaum, that center from Iowa, he's a tough-nosed kid. He'll knock you right on your face. And I'm like, really? Do you know that much about the (laughs) Iowa center? But I have a feeling, Myron, he's the next Quentin Nelson for dorky offensive lineman talk. I mean, he he could be. You know, those Iowa guys got to have a mold. You know, and they play for 15 years. So he, he could be that. I, I do think so. Like some of that emphasis, Matt, is like Lamar Jackson's going to need to be protected even more going forward. We watched Cam Newton go from a guy who looked like he could really do anything on the field to suddenly started getting banged up. And all of a sudden he wasn't healthy. You don't want to see that happen to Lamar Jackson. So I think Tyler and everybody on the offensive line is going to be even more valuable this season because you got to keep Lamar Jackson upright. You got to keep him healthy. Eight and four to your point when he was healthy and then everything fell apart, right? But with Lamar Jackson, the Ravens win and they yes, compete they for the championship and the division and they're a good playoff team. But how do you keep him healthy going forward? That's going to be the thing. 
Those are your Ravens two-a-days here from Myron Metcalf and I. And ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. If you're a renter, make sure you're protected. Renter's insurance includes options that cover stolen property, personal injury, and living expenses if your place is damaged. Quote, get your rope – I can't read. Get your renter's insurance quote at Progressive.com. Now, you may know the British Open, or as golf snobs like to call it, Myron, the Open. They don't want to say British. Like, oh, excuse me. The Open yeah. is this weekend. But once again, we end up talking about the Live Tour because of decisions made by the PGA and European Tour and also because of the controversy. Is the Live Tour hurting golf in general? That's next on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It is Spain and Fitz here on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Matt Jones, Meyer Metcalf. I am here in Scranton, Wilkes-Barre, where the Rail Riders, which is a great name for a team, isn't it, Myron? Yeah, it is. The Scranton, Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders. They're the Yankees affiliate in AAA, playing name. the Louisville Bats, the Reds affiliate. Uh, one of our bosses there, Mike Urinaga, tells me that his first ever concert was here in wow. this stadium. Would you like to know who was on it? Yeah, who was the who was the Spin Doctors, Cracker, and Lemonheads? Now that what, would have been a show. What year was that? I don't know. Probably, I'm guessing with that group, 1995. Yeah, that probably. feels 94, 95 for sure. I'm a big Spin Doctors guy. Little Miss can't be wrong. One, two princes here before you, Myron. That's good music. I don't good care what song. anybody says. Good song. That was a good run, man. Like 94, 95. That was a good stretch. You had for music. that's the Hootie. Alanis Morissette, right? Big Head Todd and the Monsters. Ben Doctor shows up. It was great, man. It well, you Wu Tang Clan. I mean, that's still a little different than the other ones. But, <laughs> but also, I mean, they were part of it, though. They were. They were also very good. Now, the Live Tour is, of course, the conversation because the British Open is going on right now. And I have to tell you, I don't know if you saw, it's like the British Open is almost intentionally making things with the Live Tour even worse. Yeah. So. They had their uh, honoring all the past champions for the 150th. This is the 150th British Open, so let's do something to honor everyone. Yeah. They have their champions dinner, invite everybody, even invite John Daly, and let him dress like he just woke up. Yeah. But they don't invite Greg Norman because they said he would be, quote, a distraction. Then the pairings oh, – oh, excuse me. Then there were interviews. You know, they have interviews before, mm-hmm. the, before it tees off. Not one live tour golfer was invited to do interviews with the press. And then the pairings came out. And Myron, these pairings are hilarious. The highest ranked player right now is Abraham Answer on the live tour. He's 21st besides Dustin Johnson. He's paired with Emiliano Grillo, who's number 128, and Yuto Katsurgawa, who's number 158. Bryson DeChambeau is paired with John Daly, for goodness sake. I mean, forget about being with the best players in the world. He's with John Daly, who's just out there to have fun. Just hanging out. Do you think this is intentional? And if so, are you good with it? It's intentional, but it doesn't achieve their mission. I don't think if you pulled the average fan aside and you said, do you know what's happening with the Live Tour and the PGA Tour? I think a lot of people would say, yeah, I've heard about the Live Tour and some of these guys leaving. But they don't know about the politics of golf like that. And I think what golf is doing, what the PGA Tour is doing, they're doing things that matter to people inside a very small room, 
but don't mm-hmm. matter to the larger crowd. Like Greg Norman won multiple British Opens, like one of 14 two-time winners. If he just shows up to this event, no one cares, right? But to make it where you're not going to invite him, to not allow the Live Tour guys to do interviews, to have these pairings like this, I think it's going against their mission. You're only bringing more attention to yes. the Live Tour, which is why I don't understand why they continue to take this approach to what they're calling a rival now. When you don't care about somebody, ignore them. Exactly. I mean, like, don't give them oxygen. That's the part. I feel like that piece of advice should go to people in all walks of life. 100%. If you don't like something, ignore it. And in this case, the Live Tour tournaments are literally like played on an eight track in a Chevy. Like nobody (laughs) can see them. They're on YouTube. I don't even know how you look at them. Then you go and it's like the bottle rockets versus the, you know, snot heads. And like, you're like, what, who, how how do they even keep score? It's, 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 it's a terrible product to watch, to be quite frank with you. So if that's the case, why don't you just ignore it? And I'm with you. The Norman thing made no sense to me. Do you care who's at the who's at the champions dinner of the British Open? No, but by not inviting Norman, it became a story and all of a sudden we're all talking about. It. Which is why I don't understand. Like if the goal is to keep the focus on the PGA tour, which which still has most of the best golfers, yes. which still has the most visible tournament by far. There are a lot of people, to your point, Matt, who have never seen the Live Tour, who have no idea how to find it. And you know what golf is? It's a sport where it's Saturday and Sunday and you turn on CBS or Fox or ESPN and all of a sudden you're watching, you know, the final round of some golf event. The Live Tour doesn't have that. People don't know how to find it. So just let them do what they're doing. Like, it's it's almost like, you know, you know those Real Housewives shows? It's like Real Housewives of, like, Utah. Like, everybody's fancy. They make a bunch of money. Yeah. They're buying stuff all the time. But who's watching, right? At the end of the day, like, let people who want to pay attention to the Live Tour do that, and you focus on your product, and that's how you get people to center on that instead of thinking about it. And this. let's be real. Who watches golf? Old people. 100%. Most old people I know, if their cable box gets turned off, they it's don't know what to do for, like, a week. Like, they that's don't it. know how to turn it back on. I have that's to it. get on the phone with, like, my great uncle, and I'm like, you got to hit the input button, and you got to yeah. scroll down. The idea of telling him, get on YouTube and watch the Live Tour, forget it. it. Like, he's, not, he's never going to be able to do that, so no. let's just not worry about it. Now, so I think giving them attention has been dumb. However, I do like when people throw some really nice shade. And that's what Tiger Woods did. Because Tiger Woods was asked about the the Live Tour, and he had stronger statements. And because it's Tiger, I got to tell you, I think I liked it. I disagree with it. Um, I think that uh, what they've done is they've they've turned their back on what has allowed them to get to this position. Um, Some players have never got a chance to even experience it. Uh, they've they've gone right from the amateur ranks right into you know that organization um, and never really get a chance to to play out here and, and what it feels like to play a tour schedule or, or to um, play in some big events and you know who knows what what's going to happen in the near future with world ranking points um, the criteria for entering major championships. Um, the, the, the governing body's going to have to figure that out. And I, 
some of these players may may not ever get a chance to play major championships, and that is a possibility. Uh, we don't know that for sure yet. It's up to the all the major championship bodies to make that determination. But that is a possibility that um, some players will never ever get a chance to play in a major championship, never get a chance to experience this right here. Um, walk down the fairways at Augusta National. I mean, uh, that that to me, I, I just don't. I, I just to me, I just don't understand it. So you you look at this and you say, okay. If you're Tiger, he's basically saying, you guys are not going to get to do what's so great about golf. I hope that money is worth it. Yeah, and I think he's speaking specifically to the younger golfers on tour and those coming up. It's going to matter because it's Tiger. But I think he's saying, if you don't do it this way, you're going to miss, to your point, uh, the fruits that come with doing this for 10, 20 years. But I don't know if that's going to appeal to either the mid-career, late-career guys who are going to see $50 million, $100 million, $150 million. Yeah, but we don't care about them, though. I, I think Tiger would say a lot of these dudes, with the exception of Kepka, Dustin Johnson, yes. maybe Answer, none of those guys were going to win anyway. Yes, and I think that's why this is effective because Tiger is speaking to that next generation of golfers and saying, this is the right way to do it, and because it's Tiger Woods, you listen. If Tiger Woods says this is how you do it, I think people are going to follow that. So it's effective. It matters a lot. Do you, let me ask you this. Do you think any of these live tour golfers are going to win a major championship? No. See, no. I don't either. I don't think so. They're going to get all that money. Do they care? They well, they may not, and that's yeah. fine. But yeah. you know what? If they don't care, well, then I don't care. Because yeah. if they're not winning the majors, they're not going to be stars that anybody cares about anyway. So, yeah. but. They thought golf would get a big makeover. I don't think it's going to happen. But college football is headed for one. We will talk about where it's going next here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It is Spain and Fitz here on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, presented by Progressive Insurance. Matt Jones, Meyer Metcalf. He's in Minneapolis. I'm in Scranton, Wilkes-Barre at the Rail Riders baseball game. Beautiful night here for minor league baseball. You like minor league baseball, Myron? Are you a minor league baseball? Get a hot dog and enjoy the, enjoy the great American pastime. I love it, man. I think it's one of the hidden gems in, in America. That's right. Well, you, if you're ever in Scranton, Wilkes-Barre, come out to PNC Field. It's a very nice nice park with mountain backdrop. Uh, I'll have to get my next guest on here, Chris Vanini, college football writer for The Athletic. Got to get him here because he likes a good uh, Americana moment. The reason I know that is he was at Big 12 Media Day. Chris, what is more Americana than Big 12 Media Day? You know, it, it's football in the heartland of football here in in, uh, in Texas. Now, it's not the kind of weather I'd want to be outside of a baseball game right now. It's currently like 105 degrees here. But, uh, you know, media day is the first one. That This is really, for a lot of us, the start of football season. Well, let me ask you this. In five years, is there going to be a Big 12 media day to go to? That is the big question around here and around uh, Pac-12 media days in a few weeks as well and that's kind of the big story coming out of the first day you know uh, brett yormark the new commissioner had his first real, uh, press conference with the media and he made it clear that the big 12 is open for business as he put it they are willing to listen to teams who want to come join their conference and at the same time he feels confident 
that they're not going to lose any members. Now, you never know. A year ago at this exact same media days, uh, Commissioner Bob Bolsby said he didn't see realignment happening. He didn't see a real hunger for it or anything that would set it off. And then a few weeks later, everything fell apart. So uh, you never know what's going to happen with these things. Chris, the reporter in me is always thinking about scene and, and the vibe. And I'm just curious. I mean, with Texas and Oklahoma folks walking around, was that kind of like seeing your ex at the club? You know, was it like that weird awkwardness uh, going on at media day? How would you describe it? Not yet. That's going to be tomorrow. Today we got we got half the teams today. We got half of them tomorrow. Tomorrow we get both Texas and Oklahoma. Now, that's not typically how this media day works. Normally, Texas and Oklahoma are on separate days. They draw the biggest crowds. It makes a lot of sense. I don't know if they put Texas and Oklahoma together because of spite. I don't know if they put them together the commissioner's debut. But tomorrow is going to be a lot uh, a lot wilder, I think, than it was today. Okay, so I, I don't know about this, but I you know I like to play sort of, I don't know, strategy games, et cetera. And you got this situation where I don't think the Big 12 and Pac-12 both survive. And I think both conferences have some teams – people would want but also have some teams nobody would want so there seems to me to be an incentive for those two conferences to move first so that they'll be the one to survive and if the other one doesn't there'll be four or five teams in that conference that won't make it and won't end up in a power conference do you read that the same as i do and if so isn't it just a matter of time before one of them moves and steals half of the other one well, it's a reminder that the, the conferences don't really make these decisions. The schools do. I mean, all, all the cards are out there right now. Everybody knows what you can do. It just basically depends on if you want to do it. The Big 12 is being pretty open, that it wants to add, that it's open to adding some schools. The Pac-12, at least so far, is a little more tentative about it. They announced that they will explore expansion but you're not hearing many reports coming out from Pac-12 schools saying they're interested in jumping yet right away. You know, the Arizona schools, the, the, the Utah and Colorado, they would fit, you know, in a lot of ways in the new Big 12 geographically. But Oregon and Washington are the biggest brands, and Oregon and Washington would like to go to the Big 10. But the Big 10 at the moment is not interested in them just yet. So everybody's kind of in this waiting game. You know, do you jump to the Big 12 because you think there's strength in numbers? Do you stay in the Pac-12? But what if Oregon and Washington leave? Then you're down to eight. Then you're in a really tough spot. So it ultimately is going to come down to what the individual schools want to do. And that those decisions haven't been made yet. Chris, we've been here before. I remember when Nebraska joined the Big Ten and the idea was, uh-oh, multiple schools are going to follow. And we were talking about super conferences even then. Of course, with Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC, we had the same conversations, and now USC and UCLA. But I'm curious your thoughts on, let's say Notre Dame picks a conference. Is that going to be the start of whatever league does that to moving toward, okay, now the North Carolinas and Miamis and Clemsons, maybe they join a different conference as well? Or could this Notre Dame decision be the final decision for a while in the expansion era? I think if Notre Dame makes a decision, it is going to ratchet up the intensity around this dramatically. Um, if that happens, I think you probably see more movement around the Pac-12 or the Big 12. If Notre Dame goes to the Big 10, they're probably not going to add Oregon to Washington. So then maybe they're more inclined to jump at the Big 12. 
those schools in the ACC or North Carolina's, your Miami's, your Florida State's, Clemson, frankly, they'd love to be in the SEC right now. They know that that's where the money is, but they're just stuck with the ACC until 2036 with this grant of rights deal. And so far, it's not clear that you can get out of it without paying literally hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, so, but if Notre Dame picks the Big Ten, for example, I would imagine you're going to see the SEC get a lot more interested in figuring out what it can. Talking to Chris Vanini, college football writer for the Athletic, here on Spain and Fitz, Matt Jones, Meyer Metcalf. So let me ask you about the SEC. To me, if I'm the SEC, I look around. Obviously, you'd love to have Notre Dame, but let's say that they don't want to do that. Then I look around and say, okay, maybe you can make a case for North Carolina. Maybe you can make a case for Clemson. But I'm not sure the SEC needs anybody, and I'm not sure that anybody outside of maybe Notre Dame really adds revenue to your conference in a significant way. Do you disagree with that? And if so, who do you think would matter to the SEC? Well, that's the key thing about realignment is that the the more conferences add schools, the higher the revenue bar is to get in. The Big Ten – Reports indicate they may get up to $100 million per school, potentially, per year. And at that point, to get into the Big Ten, you're going to need to be worth $100 million a year to, to increase what that is. Now, North Carolina, it's in a state that, that does not include the SEC. Virginia is another one I've heard a little bit about. They're not, they are a large state that does not have a presence in the SEC. That makes those two schools intriguing uh, for other reasons as well, you know, including academics, aside from simple football success. But, you know, the television revenue is really what's driving this. Florida State, even though they've been down, they get great viewership. Clemson has been a national contender every year. They get great TV viewership. North Carolina is not quite there, but it brings a lot of other things to the table uh, that make it interesting. Do ba- does basketball matter at all in that regard? Like North Carolina and Duke, does that matter? I mean, that's the biggest college basketball game. Would adding that be something the SEC or Big Ten wants? It, it helps if you have a decent football program to go along with it. In that, case, in that sense, North, that's what makes North Carolina a lot more valuable to Duke in the eyes of a lot of people. Duke, obviously, arguably the most historic basketball program ever. But the, the football program is a mess. And the uh, Mike Krzyzewski's gone, so you don't have that draw anymore either. North Carolina's got a really historic program, and it has the football, a, a solid football program to go along with it. Chris Vanini, college football writer for The Athletic. He's been on top of this from the get-go. I hope you enjoy Big 12 Media Day. Tell Mike Gundy to just chill out sometimes and maybe do decaf, and we appreciate the time. <laughs> yep, thanks for having me. There you go. So, you know, Myron, you and I talk about this a little bit. I think the luckiest schools in the world are the ones that find themselves in the SEC and the Big Twelve or Big Ten, yeah. and like it's a legacy thing. Like Mississippi State, really yeah. lucky. Purdue, yeah. really lucky. Like those are the ones that should thank the Lord, right? Yeah, you're not hearing from anybody from Nebraska say anything right now about expansion. <laughs> They're just collecting the check. Like a lot of these schools are just collecting the check. And they're just saying, okay, let people do what they want to do. But they're in a good spot. You know, for more on everything coming out of the Big 12 Media Day, you can tune in to Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max tomorrow. ESPN senior college football writer Heather Dinich will join the show. 
at 9.10 a.m. Eastern time. Now, we go back to the big guys. Jeremy Fowler just put out his latest top ten position list for the NFL. It's the wide receivers. Did he get the rankings right? Myron has strong opinions about this. He had everybody yelling at each other before the show. That's next here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz here on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Scranton Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders lead the Louisville Bats 3-1 after 6, in case you're betting on that at home, Myron, which is where I am right now. They just had a hot dog race. That's another thing at a minor league stadium. You don't get that everywhere. You don't get hot dog races Mm -hmm. everywhere. I love a good hot dog race. Yeah, man, I I was – there was a – Mankato, Minnesota. I went to school. There's a Mankato Moondogs team. Okay. We had the hot dogs race, but one time I was a mascot and I was in one of those races. Like I dressed oh, really? as a mascot one day. Yeah, and I did the whole thing. So fun. you were a hot. So you mean we did like a you, race, a mascot race? I did a mascot. People ask, race. how do you get to be on ESPN Radio? From Iron, you go through. You you bear a hot dog sometimes. <laughs> You're a hot fun. dog. Different period of my life. Different a lot of people don't know. Life. A lot of people don't know. Greeny started as a hot dog. Like, it's just the path that people go. Different chapter. Different, different chapter. times. Now, Jeremy Fowler, ESPN's NFL reporter, he does amazing work. And he gave a survey, one of these polls. This one was not fake. This one was surveyed more than 50 league executives, coaches, scouts, and players, and no. said, rank for me the best wide receivers in the league. Now, I'm going to read you the top ten. Myron, when I finish, I want you to tell me, do you agree with it, and what are the egregious mistakes these so-called league executives and scouts that think they know what they're talking about had? Number one, best wide receiver in the league, Devontae Adams. Then Cooper Cup, two. Jamar Chase, three. Justin Jefferson, four. Tyreek Hill, five. Stephon Diggs, six. DeAndre Hopkins, seven. Mike Evans, eight. Debo Samuel, nine. And DK Metcalf was 10. The next guys included Keenan Allen, A.J. Brown, Terry McLaurin, Chris Godwin, Michael Thomas, and others. When I give you that list, what sticks out to you? Well, I hate the list. Uh, I mean, that's what sticks out, I think, in, in general. Um, now, I'll go to the honorable mentions. Like, a guy like Michael Thomas, who just hasn't been healthy, I get why he's there. But in terms of just raw talent, healthy Michael Thomas is a top 10 receiver in the league. But I'll start with Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup's the best receiver in this league. Cooper Cup, uh, you know, caught a bunch of passes, almost 2,000 receiving yards. Uh, he solidified Matthew Stafford's Hall of Fame resume. Cooper Cup's your top, re- top uh, receiver in the league. Devontae Adams, I'd say, is number two, although – Let's see if he's still number two with Derek Carr uh, versus Aaron Rodgers. We still no, wait, don't man. Know. Now, let me ask you a question, though. Is Cooper Cup number one to you regardless of where he played? Or does playing in that great system with now a Hall of Fame quarterback, does that make it? So, for instance, if they had Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson, wouldn't they be as good or better? I mean, they'd be really good, you know, and obviously I think they probably would have won a Super Bowl. Those are all elite receivers. But, like, anytime you put up, like, Super Tecmo Bowl numbers, I, I think you got to acknowledge that. And that's basically what Cooper Cup did. Like, okay. those aren't real numbers that he put up. So he's number one. Devontae Adams, number two. Justin Jefferson is the number three receiver, I think, in this league. Through two seasons, Justin Jefferson has passed Randy Moss through his first two seasons in the NFL. Like, you like you, him better than Jamar Chase? I like a lot of people better than Jamar Chase. And Jamar oh. Chase is good. Oh. Jamar Chase is good. But I can't put him over Tyreek Hill, who has won Super Bowls, was the key of that Kansas City offense. He's not better than Stephon Diggs. And although DeAndre Hopkins has been hurt a lot, 
raw talent, he's not better than DeAndre Hopkins either. So to me, you got to move Jamar Chase down about four or five spots. Wow. Who knew you were such a Jamar Chase hater? That good you receiver, not better than those guys. Well, I mean, you got him down, what do you think, like the 40th best receiver in the league? <laughs> yeah, he's probably seventh or seventh or eighth. I think okay. he's better than, like, I put him above Mike Evans and Debo Samuel and DK Metcalf, but okay. he's not better than Justin Jefferson, Tyreek Hills, Stephon Diggs, and DeAndre Hopkins. Here's what's hard for me in all this. It's impossible to rate these guys without thinking about the role of quarterback plays. It just is. It's impo- There's. No, I can't think of another position in sports where what we look at with the person is so dependent on something they have no control over. They have no control over who's throwing them the ball, how good they are, whether or not it's going to be in the right place, whether or not there's a chemistry. So I look at these top guys, and I look at, let's say, the top seven, because I'm kind of with you. I feel like there's a cutoff at DeAndre Hopkins. I feel like Adams, Cup, Chase, Jefferson, Hill, Diggs, and Hopkins, to me, seem like a group. I might even throw DK Metcalf in that group, because I just think he's a freak. Yeah. But how do I know that if I were to switch these teams, like take DK Metcalf, are you telling me that the Rams wouldn't be unstoppable with him? Who's who's going to cover him? But he did not have that situation in Seattle, and so I don't feel like it's the same. So it's so hard for me, Myron, to judge these guys because I think it's so quarterback dependent. It is, and I think that's why this season's going to be very interesting. I mean, Devontae Adams goes from Aaron Rodgers to Derek Carr. Let's see if he's the same guy. We we don't know. Tyreek Hill goes from Patrick Mahomes to a Tua Tagovailoa who's fighting for his job. Isn't so we'll that see. though the real test? Like we saw test. how good Tyreek Hill was. I mean, we yeah. saw you could make a case that before last year you do this, he's number one. If he's not number yeah. one, he's number two, right? If he goes to Miami. Isn't he a perfect example of how quarterback dependent this is? Because I don't know that he's number five if he's playing with Mahomes again. No, I think it's a different story with Mahomes. But with Tua, you go, okay, can Tua make any of those passes that Patrick Mahomes made? Like every time you turn on the TV, there's somebody who's defending Tua and saying, no, 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 no. That bad pass you saw in practice, it it actually wasn't as bad as you thought. It was pretty good. Like so anytime anyone's doing that in like July – you probably have some challenges already. But Tyreek Hill, man, has gone from Mahomes to Tua, and that could change everything. The same thing with Devontae Adams. But then the other guys, Cooper Cup, makes Matthew Stafford. When's the last time you talked about Matthew Stafford as an elite quarterback? Then he goes and win a Super Bowl. I think Cooper Cup or has a lot McVay, to do with that. Or does Sean McVay make them both? Uh, Sean McVay did that, got Jared Goff to be an elite quarterback so certainly he plays a role in that but I I mean I watched his protege Liam Cohen turn Will Levis into a first round NFL potential draft pick I mean maybe it is the system and the coach in part I'm not trying to downplay Cooper Cup but couldn't that be part of it I think that's definitely a part of it but then it's like okay it's one thing to be a thousand yard receiver when you're almost putting up two thousand yards that is a lot and everybody knows they're throwing to you I think that says a lot about what Cooper Cup did so One of the things that's also interesting to me about these lists is how quickly wide receivers can like can like rookies can make this. I mean, you look at the top the top five, number three and four are guys in their second or third year in the league. Like it's almost like people can just kind of the impact a a rookie wide receiver can make. And there was a ton of them taken in this last draft. Are there any of them you think we'll be adding to this list? Or is it just not – this is a special couple guys? I I mean, it's going to be hard to break through, I I think, the group that that we've seen just because 
all of these guys top 10, I'm not saying this will happen for sure, but you can see all of them making a case for the Hall of Fame one day. And that's not a light thing, right, to, to put those guys in that category. At the same time, to your point, this might this might look completely different a year from now. Listen, Justin Jefferson is playing with uh, uh, a guy at oh, quarterback he goes. Who, who legitimately, like once the clock hits 4 p.m., can't play quarterback anymore. Like anything after 4 o'clock, <laughs> anything in primetime Monday night, he legitimately can't play the position. And Justin Jefferson has to deal with that. So you never if, know who will stay on that list. If you all don't listen on Sunday mornings on the NFL pregame show with me and Myron, the Kirk Cousin – Kirk, he, ma- he makes it seem like he loves Jamar Chase compared to Kirk Cousins. <laughs> ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive is proud to team up with Hello Alice to support small businesses. Get access to small business resources and learn about small business grants at HelloAlice.com. Spain and Fitz, next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It is two-a-days here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. He's Meyer Metcalf. I'm Matt Jones. I'm here in Scranton, Wilkes. I thought it was Wilkes-Barre, Myron. Some people are now telling me it's Wilkes-Barre, and one guy is crazy and says it's Wilkes-Barre. I don't know if it's Barry or if it's Barr or if it's Bear. But 888-SAY-ESPN, let me know, because everybody says something different, Myron. Yeah, and I've driven through Pennsylvania many times, man. I've always heard bar. That's what Google I says Barry, yeah. and there's a producer in the studio who seems like a nice young man who says bear. And there I don't want to say. There's two of us. There's two of us. Billy and I both agree that it's spoke a Scranton Wilkes Bear. It's Barry, according to Google. It's bar, according to Myron. All right, what are they saying at the game? I, I, I'm, I'm talking to you. I'm not listening to what they're saying at the game. I'm focused here on ESPN Radio because we have great guests like Chris <laughs> Easterling coming on. He is of the Akron Beacon Journal. I can pronounce Akron. And, Chris, I just have this question because we're doing the Browns here for two-a-days. And, and, and I've been on a lot of radio shows over the last couple, few months, and the Browns come up as a topic, and it's all Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Watson, to the point that I, I don't know that I have one more thing to say about Deshaun Watson. So I'll ask you. Are there things that are interesting about the Browns besides Deshaun Watson, or should we just talk about that? There are actually a lot of things about that. By the way, thanks, uh, Matt. Uh, first time, long time here for Ooh, you. Uh, we got a Kentuckian uh, here, Myron. Two Kentuckians <laughs> on national radio at once. Should I leave? Do you guys need me, or you guys got this by yourself? <laughs> I actually just went to UK. I'm actually from Ohio, but I, I'm a UK alumnus. So, uh, uh, But uh, – Actually, there's a lot about the Browns to like. I mean, you, you two top 15 running backs and Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. You have one of the best edge rushers and uh, Miles Garrett. You got a defense that, you know, potentially, if they play like they did the second half of last season, could be one of the best in the NFL or one of the better in the NFL. Maybe not best, but an offensive line that is one of the best in the NFL when healthy. I mean, there's a lot to like, but... It's all Deshaun Watson here. It's, it, I mean, even here in Cleveland and Northeast Ohio, it's all about Deshaun Watson because all of that said about the Browns, it, it all rides on the quarterback and, uh, and the Deshaun Watson stuff uh, just kind of hangs over this franchise. And, you know, they brought it on themselves by going out and acquiring him, but at the same time, it, uh, it, uh, it, it certainly has uh, – I think in some ways uh, dampened what uh, dampened what, uh, what what could be a, a really good football team uh, football season uh, this fall for the Browns. 
Chris, we don't know what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson if he'll be suspended for a few games, uh, multiple games, the entire season. But it feels like we all agree that Jacoby Brissett is probably going to be the Cleveland Browns quarterback in week one and potentially for the foreseeable future. How does that change the ceiling for the Cleveland Browns, especially if he ends up being the guy for the duration of the season? For the duration of the season, I think it it, it uh, completely changes uh, what the, the ceiling is for it. With the, you know, if, if it's a, a – if it's a reasonably short period of time, and by reasonably I mean four to six games that Deshaun's out, I think Jacoby can kind of weather the storm, especially, again, you know, you ride that running game, you ride that defense, you know, Jacoby plays. I'm not going to, you know, sunshine pump any, you know, like he's, you know, some type of great quarterback, but if you can play confident quarterback play, you got to play quarterback play out of Jacoby. I think he, you know, they they can weather that storm over, you know, four to six games. Anything longer than that, though, I, you know, I just think the AFC is so difficult and has so many, you know, top end quarterbacks and and teams that that legitimately could consider themselves in the hunt for, you know, a deep playoff run and even a Super Bowl. That it just it really changes the arithmetic for what the Browns uh, what the Browns can do. You know, Chris, as a Kentucky fan, you know there are optimistic fans, there are pessimistic fans. If I'm a pessimistic Browns fan, then I would assume I'm going to lose Deshaun Watson for the year. But let's say I'm an optimistic fan, and you're going to give me the best possible scenario for a Browns fan, leaving the moral implications and all that aside, just getting them on the football field. What do you think is reasonably the least amount of games that Deshaun Watson could miss this year? Four to six. I, I think. I mean, there, there's been talk this week. You know, one one local radio host said that he he had heard four to six, which I don't know if I believe four, but but I certainly can see six. Uh, that that's the optimistic view. Uh, the pessimistic view is ten to twelve, double digits. I, I don't think you're going to get a, see a full season suspension. I. I I just don't believe that. But at the same time, if, if Sue L. Robinson comes down with a, with a suspension of double-digit games, I certainly believe, you know, I wouldn't be stunned by, by that, at which point, again, you're, you, you know, you sort of say, well, typical Browns. You lose Jarvis Landry. You add Amari Cooper. What are some of the questions that remain for that wide receiver core? Who's going to be the number two option? Um, because you don't have anybody who's really proven it. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones is probably the most experienced of the group behind Amari, but he has only sort of shown flashes in his his time in the NFL so far. David Bell, the rookie out of Purdue who they drafted in in the third round, looks really good in OTAs and minicamps, but, uh, you know, you're not really playing football in OTAs and mini camps because you don't have shoulder pads and all that on. So, you know, it, it, it's hard to say. Anthony Schwartz, you know, second-year guy out of Auburn, he was hurt a lot last year. And, you know, it, it, so it's just a kind of a hodgepodge of guys that they all have potential, but, you know, we all know in this in the world of sports, potential may be uh, – 
maybe the worst word of them all because, uh, you know, getting somebody to reach that potential is often something you don't see. Chris, I will get you out with this. You t- when I was interested in local flavor. You know, fans of teams tend to all be the same. Their guy's fine. The other team's guys are bad. Does the Cleveland Browns fan base see Deshaun Watson as a guy that they take up for on a daily basis or because most of his accomplishments haven't been in Cleveland yet, there's still skepticism? A little of both, actually. You know, there are going to be the the diehard Browns fans who will defend anybody who puts on that uniform. You know, and and they'll they'll go to bat and they'll you bring up Deshaun Watson's uh, the allegations against Deshaun Watson, and they'll well, Ben Roethlisberger did this or this guy did that or what have you. And then there's a segment of the fan base that that quite frankly just look at it and. and and they can't see past – and, and I totally respect this view as well. You know, the, the allegations are just, a, a, you know, a bridge too far for them. And, and it's tough to to separate the off-the-field stuff from the on-the-field stuff. And it's really been – it's been a push and pull just in the fan base, really, ever since, uh, ever since they, they acquired them back in March. Chris Easterling, Akron Beacon Journal. Great job. Chris, I was trying to tell Myron about the – what's the burger place there yeah, that everybody place? loves so much? What's it called? Swenson's. Swenson's. And does, Swenson's? doesn't LeBron, like, get them, like, sent out to L.A.? Isn't that right? Oh, yeah. It's, you can't go wrong with Swenson's. Get a couple of galley boys and uh, you'll be in burger heaven. Yeah, there you go. I dated a woman from Akron, and I, the galley boys, that was the thing. So, if you're ever in Akron – Look up Chris Easterling from the Akron Beacon Journal and go to Swenson's. Chris, thank you very much. Go Cats. Absolutely. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Myron. There you go. Got to get you one of those Swenson's galley boys, Myron. Sounds good. Get you loosened up a little bit. <laughs> you're all you're too worked up all the time. Got all get all upset about Kirk Cousins. <laughs> Next thing you go, you go nuts. You know the way they end this show every night, they do something called quickies. When I hear Meyer Metcalf, that's a word I think of. So we will do it next here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It is Spain and Fitz here on ESPN Radio. See, during the break, the producers just said, I'm Matt Jones with Meyer Metcalf, that they heard I could be mean. That's not right, is it, Myron? Nah, I don't think you're mean. I just I laugh at your reaction to somebody saying you're mean. Like, that was the funny part to me. Well, I'm not mean. I don't I'm think nice. you're mean at all. I, no, I'm, I'm mean. mean to callers because sometimes callers have really silly things to say, but they just yeah. need to know they're good people. You just have to tell them they're wrong. Now, I, there's someone on the phone who answered my question. Yeah, How okay. do you say, I'm in Scranton, Wilkes, and I thought it was Wilkes-Barre. It could be Wilkes-Bar. It could yep. be Wilkes-Bear. Three choices. I asked people to call and tell me. We've got Tony. He is in Scranton. Tony, are you? Are, how am I supposed to say it? Wilkes Bear. Wilkes, Wilkes Bear. Bear, like Teddy Bear. Bear. Okay, okay. Wait a minute. Bear. That's wait a minute. Told our you. producers. Our producers. Our producers <laughs> paid you to call Tony. No one says Bear. I thought it was Barry or Bar. No. Some people say Barry, but no one says bar. Hang on. No, I've heard so, bar before. I've, I've heard, heard bar, bar before. I've, 
I've gone through Altoona and State College. I've heard bar. I've heard bar. I will tell you, you, I I called during the break. I called the, the the minor league team's phone number because they say on their answering machine, Barry, and I would think, Tony, they would know since they're here and they're a team. Uh, it might be the summer help they have. Okay, to- hang up on Tony. See, this is why I get mean to people. They don't even know the Tony. names of the towns they live in, Myron. That they sit there and get they get it wrong. Tony blamed the interns. He said, Those "Tony's blaming the interns." Come on, they just got here. Tony's man. my new favorite caller. No, Tony's man. blaming the interns. Tony said the summer help. The su- <laughs> summer help. It's not very nice. Well, all right. Every time Spain and Fitz end the show, they end it with man. quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. That's what we do, so let's find out what's first. All right, so for the first one here, and this is, I can't believe, a ridiculous thing I'm about to read, the Kansas City Royals have 10 different players that will not travel to go play in Toronto this weekend because they are unvaccinated. 10! 10 different players. I'll start with you, Myron. What? I thought this was over. Like, I honestly didn't know guys were still missing, like, trips to Canada because of vaccine things. Like, I honestly didn't know that was still a thing. Other than, like, Kyrie, I thought everyone else had sort of figured it out. So, and to know that 10 guys, that makes you think it's more like, you know, there's sort of a faction within the the club. Let's be real. This is what this is. You know this is what this is. There's one guy on Kansas City that's loud, and he's louder than he is smart, right? And so he stands up, and he's like, you know what's happening with these vaccines. You take them, and they'll control your mind. The next thing you know, you'll end up being an alien. And, like, the other guys, they just kind of believe him, or they just want him to shut up. Yeah. And then he sits there. Like, that's a culture thing, Myron. There's no way – because I haven't heard of another team. Every other team might have one or zero – 10, that means something's happening. Like, there's a QAnon faction of the Kansas Something. City Royals. Am I right? Yeah, like, is it 2020 all over again? Like, what are we talking about? 10? <laughs> 10 players? Can't go to Canada? Luckily, Kansas City doesn't matter. So, it's, it's, it's going to be a beautiful city. Kansas City is a beautiful city. No, no, I love that. It's a beautiful city. The barbecue yeah. there is amazing, and they got a good downtown. I'm just saying, as a baseball team, yeah. we're not going to cry that we don't get the full Royals Blue Jays experience <laughs> this weekend, are we? No, but but do what you got to do so you can go to Canada. Unless it's on ESPN Radio, at which point you need <laughs> to listen to it. Then it's a game you cannot sure. miss. What's next? You're a Reds fan. Yeah. So thankfully, we we pick better games than that to put on ESPN. <laughs> okay, just so make it. Well, I sometimes sometimes I say no, it, no, no, and all of a sudden fair. we're airing it. That's fair. I feel like that's yeah. on ESPN three. But go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe if we get it down there, we'll get more into the Blue Jays in just a second here. But uh, thank goodness, Tiger Woods talking about people who are probably smarter than they are loud in this situation here. Matt Jones, he went out all in on live golf, shredding the guys who left. And really made it clear that he has very little respect for any of these guys that left and, and thinks there's a lot of loyalty left for the PGA. What are your thoughts on Tiger kind of standing up for the PGA here? Tiger did what my mom used to do like when I did something. Like one time when I was in high school, I had a party at my house. And okay. people came over and they like drank. And my mom was very angry, but she didn't do that. She knew the way to get me was she said, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Right, like I thought you were better than this. That's kind of what Tiger did. He was like, hey, young people, 
I thought y'all were better than this. I thought you didn't want to just do it for the money. You did it for the game, the competition. Isn't that what it's about? He gave him one of those, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. And when my mom did that, that was much worse for me than if she yelled. I feel that's the same thing Tiger's doing here. Yeah, because it's Tiger. Like, Tyler's, Tiger's the only one who could pull this off. Correct. And it would be effective. And I think he's specific, specifically speaking to that next generation, right? He's saying, listen, don't do it that way. Do it the traditional way. It'll pay off for you in the long run. Don't just take the money uh, and think that you're going to have the same experience. So I think it'll be effective. Now, the mid-career, late-career guys who just want the money, they're going to take it if it's there. But I do think this will be effective from Tiger Woods saying, hey, this is the proper path uh, if you want to have a career like I have. He's basically like, if you can still eat hamburgers every night and your metabolism works, you should yeah. be with us. Exactly. If, you, if you've got a little belly and you're in yeah. your 40s, then I understand. Yeah. But the rest of y'all, you should be out here competing. What's next? I hated that when my mom got – I got the – I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. For Dude, it hurts. Words. And it then hurts. she looks at you yeah, and like yeah, you just yeah. Listen. It makes you feel way worse than if she just yelled. That's what. Right? That's yeah. what Tiger did. We now all yeah. feel if we're on the live tour worse. Yeah. By the way, this is a hundred million dollars in our pocket though. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. That would be you worse. Jet, by the way, yeah. that jet they're all flying around on. <laughs> yeah, we're worse, nice. but we also just bought two new mansions, so it's all relative. <laughs> it'll be. It's, it'll be fine. <laughs> by the way, this is Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Matt Jones, Byron Medco. They love. He loves resetting in my ear every segment. He's like, make sure people know it's. Spain and Fitz. Okay? Listen, the guys above me are telling me to reset, so I got to reset. No, Spain and Fitz. In case y'all are wondering, it's Spain and Fitz. Definitely. Okay, go ahead. I told you we're going to get back to the Blue Jays here. So the Blue Jays today made a slightly controversial move in firing their manager, Charlie Montoyo, amid the recent struggles. However, this team is above 500 and in a playoff spot right now. Myron, what on earth has happened in Toronto? We just don't know the full story, honestly. Like, whenever I see stories like this, it's bigger than the box score. It's bigger than the standings. Like, to me, Matt, when things like this happen, people in the clubhouse are saying, we got an issue. Like, I don't know if it's cultural. You know, I, I don't know if it's, they don't like the way to be managed. But there's an issue beyond what's happening on the field. Like, I, I just never think it's that simple when you have a guy in a position to get to the playoffs and then they let him go. I, I just always assume there's something more in a situation like this. So that's I what was- I think is happening here. I was intrigued to learn by this story that the Blue Jays had a manager named Charlie Montoyo because I couldn't have told you who the manager <laughs> was uh, in any sense. So I can't may have a strong statement about it. It is weird that they would be in the playoffs right now and he gets fired. It either has to be like Myron said. There's something else we don't know or they feel like they should be great and they're not, and they think this will be the thing that takes them to the next level. But I will say this. You get this wrong, if you're the GM, that's a lot of criticism. Am I right? 100%. And you'll deserve it, too. You will. Now, we could do another one, but I don't think we have time. So are we going with Wilkes-Barre, even though I am 100% confident that's the wrong wrong pronunciation? Yeah, I mean, if a dude from Scranton is saying it, and then we got the other Pennsylvania people saying it, I think it probably has to be. I trust Billy. Is that what you're going to say, though, if a dude from Scranton says it? Like, like, is that your standard for things? Like, well, if a dude from there says it, then it has to be? Well, I think a town like that, I mean, I would imagine they they would have a sense of what it is. But like I said, I've I've been all through Pennsylvania many times, and I've heard bar. I'm not sure, though, there is a city of significance in America I know less about than Wilkes-Barre Berry Bear. Like, I know Scranton. 
Yep. But I don't know much about this place, but they've been very nice. Thanks to the Rail Riders for hosting. They're losing tonight, but they are number one in our hearts. Byron Metcalf, it's always a pleasure. Freddie and Fitzsimmons is next. They're going to be talking about all the important issues in sports. They probably will know how to pronounce most of the major cities in America. This has been Spain and Fitz. We hope you've enjoyed it here on ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio.